think I feel I think I feel it, it, on this occasion at least uh, somewhat like I know Brother Adam feels from time to time. He comes back. Uh, he's been off somewhere else or been a few weeks or whatever, and he comes back and says, the last time we were talking in the book of Matthew at this point uh, and at this place and this location, and so I think I kind of feel like that this morning uh, coming back, having been gone for a few weeks. But if you will, it will turn back to the book of uh, Philippians. Uh, part of what we talked about, began to try to talk about several weeks ago, was the fact that uh, if, if we look at the book of Galatians, and I'm not asking you to turn over to Galatians real quickly, but it tells us over there in Galatians 5 and verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Uh, and while uh, a lot of times I think we, we center in on some of these fruit of the fruits of the Spirit versus others, uh, one of the things that I've been trying to focus on, I guess, in my mind is thinking about joy. Uh, we're to have love uh, in our lives, and love is, a, is a, one of the demonstrations that we have that we are his disciples. Uh, we talked about that several weeks ago, that, uh, how John, uh, John recorded the words of the Lord in the 13th chapter of the book of John, uh, where he talks about that, uh, that by love all men would know, by their love one to another would all men know that they were his disciples. And so I think that, again, is a good um, uh, mark for us t today to be thinking about our love one to another is to be, to be so different from the, the love that you find out here, if you find any out here in the world, but if you find any out in the world, our love here in the church and our, uh, between disciples of Christ is to be so profoundly different uh, that by this mark will all people know that we're his disciples. So part of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit that's mentioned here, the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned is love, but also joy is mentioned. And we began to talk about that uh, uh, one of the places I think we would find uh, joy and rejoicing mentioned as much as anywhere is in the book of Philippians, that the, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and I think he had a special relationship with this church because, as we mentioned back uh, as part of leading up to this, we went back into the book of Acts, 17th chapter, I think it is, and uh, talked about how the church at Philippi came into existence uh, by the Apostle Paul hearing a man of, seeing a man, having a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here to see us. And Paul got up the next day and went and began his journey toward Macedonia. And uh, part of that journey led him to Lydia, uh, a seller of purple down by the riverside. And Paul began to approach her where she was having prayer and began to talk to her about Jesus Christ. And uh, her and her whole family was baptized. And uh, then at that same in that same area, same location, there was this uh, group of people that were following him around that had a young lady that was prophesying and calling out and aggravating, if you will, the Apostle Paul and those that were with him and crying out to him till finally Paul turns around and rebukes her uh, and the uh, spirit of divination, uh, an evil spirit that was in her, came out. And, of course, those that were her handlers, if you will, became uh, frustrated, aggravated, and went to the local authorities on Paul that they had destroyed their business. Uh, and then uh, Paul and Silas were put into a jail cell. Uh, and the Bible records for us there in the book of Acts that Paul and Silas were singing songs of praise to God at midnight uh, when God loosed their chains, opened the cells, and uh, the jailer comes in to, uh, 
to Paul and Silas and wants to know what can he do to be saved. Uh, and right, straightway they carried Paul. He carried Paul and Silas to his household. Uh, they washed the stripes that uh, Paul and Silas had that they had been beaten with. Uh, and then him and his whole household were baptized. So this is the these uh, Lydia and the jailer and his Lydia and her family and the jailer and his family are the very beginnings of the church at Philippi uh, in Macedonia. So uh, Paul writes back to them, and I think last time looking back at some of uh, some notes, and uh, uh, we went through about the first twenty verses or so of this, but. Paul is writing to them, and we'll go over this real quickly, uh, just to say that he tells them there in the very beginning that uh, they're always in his prayers, that he makes requests with joy for them, for their fellowship in the gospel from the very first day until now. So Paul had a, I think Paul had a special, this is almost like a rejoicing letter telling them to rejoice in what God has done for them. But it's also a, a, a love letter to them in a sense that Paul is so appreciative of their, of their attention to the gospel, their love for Christ, how that they've done this. And Paul's prayer for them in his absence from them, he's now in Rome. Uh, he's under house arrest there in Rome. And uh, he's writing back to them, telling them, I desire to come and see you and to be with you, but if I don't, if I'm not able to get there, I'm going to send Timothy to you uh, and also letting them know that in the meantime, he wants to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So he goes on, I'm in uh, chapter one real quickly going over a few things, but he says, I thank God, I thank verse three, he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which with, which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you uh, today, I was thinking about my mind gets to stirring and thinking about things when I get to reading scripture and uh, so forth. And and, uh, and my mind was thinking about, think about this. And, and I know I've heard this used uh, in, in other, on other occasions, other men, other preachers uh, talking about this. But the, the work of, of the new birth, the work of salvation, which God has worked in you through the new birth, uh, I'm telling you, is a good work. And he which hath begun a good work in you will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep you in his arms and his love and his care and uh, in, uh, in his family and uh, his uh, in, in the new birth right up to the very time of Jesus Christ. And so what he purchased when he died upon the cross for you, when he purchased body, soul, and spirit, uh, uh, we don't have to worry about him losing a single one because he which has begun a good work in you will finish it till the day of Jesus Christ. And so in the meantime, he's telling them, uh, God said, verse 8, skip down, he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, and that you may approve all things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense, until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul's, he, uh, I think this is something that uh, we ought to take uh, particularly into account today. We know that through, through God's election, through God's predestination, we're saved uh, for heaven, that that will be our home because he which has begun a good work in you will finish it 
till the day of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, but in the meantime, Paul's prayer for them was that they might abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, wisdom, uh, and that they may be approved, <coughs> approved things that are excellent and that you may be sincere without offense, without offending, uh, that you may be sincere. You know, the Apostle Paul on other occasions says, uh, uh, tell the truth in love, all right? That you may be sincere without offense, that you may tell the truth without being offensive in, in telling the truth. Uh, and he said uh, uh, that you may uh, be sincere without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. So, even though they're, they're saved by Jesus Christ and he's begun a good work in them and he's going to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that Paul's desire for the church at Philippi was not, his desire was that they might grow in knowledge and judgment, uh, that they might have fruit of the Spirit and that they might be sincere and, and show forth this love of God with the fruits of righteousness uh, to the glory and praise of God. That's the same thing that God would desire of us here at Zion's Rest in Jasper, Alabama today. Uh, it's the very same thing that we ought to be desiring. Yes, I, I can rest in the confidence of knowing that God has saved me by His grace. But in the meantime, between now and the time I go home to be with Him in glory, uh, I need to be growing in knowledge and in judgment, wisdom, uh, and uh, in bearing fruit for the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what we ought to be doing here at this place. And so He says uh, that I would, uh, that, but I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Now he begins to assure them, much like I, I think I may have mentioned this before, much like I think he did Timothy. When Timothy, uh, when he was writing one of the letters to Timothy, and I'll just turn over there real quick to make sure I, I get, the, get the right one, because I think it's 2 Timothy. Uh, when he was writing to Timothy in this second letter, he tells him that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Uh, and he's writing this to, to Timothy. Uh, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So God, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy saying, don't be scared even though I'm in bonds for, uh, for having preached the gospel, it's caused me to be put into, into prison or into uh, house arrest or whatever the condition was. He said, Timothy, don't let it stop you. And don't you be ashamed of the gospel because this has happened unto me. So here in the Philippian letter, he's telling them, I, would, I want you to understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Paul was... Paul was uh, looking at this situation, and, and we'll go on and read a little bit of this again. But here he is in, in, uh, under arrest in Rome, and Paul said, Hey, you know, uh, it, it, you know, if you could go back to the old joke, he found, he found the pony, okay? Uh, in all the situation that was going on around him, he found the pony in the room, okay? And so as, uh, as Paul was looking at this, he says, Hey, it may seem to be bad to you that I'm under, I'm under arrest uh, because of preaching the gospel. He said, But you need to know, this thing has fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, and so sometimes it, maybe that's the way would help us to look at things sometimes. Sometimes things happen in our lives, and we say, why is this happening to me? 
uh, why has this come my way? Uh, well, it might be a situation or condition where it gives you the opportunity to let God's grace shine forth in your life. Paul's sitting uh, under house arrest in Rome, and instead of whining and moaning about, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? And why is this bad situation? He says, hey, I got an opportunity to preach the gospel to some other people that might have never heard it if I haven't, hadn't been in this situation. So he says, I would that you understand, brethren, that things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife and, uh, and some also of goodwill. Uh, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add to my uh, add afflictions to my bonds, uh, but the other of love and knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice." Paul was rejoicing that even though there were some that were preaching Jesus Christ for the wrong reasons. I'll tell you today, there are men that are preaching, preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. Some are preaching it because they've taken it on as a job, as an occupation, uh, as, a, as their career, so to speak. Uh, and uh, that may be the wrong reason, but you know what? Christ is being preached. And in the world we're living in today, uh, I, I would love to see Christ being preached in truth more because I believe it if it was preached that we're saved by His grace more and not by our works. And if we weren't automatically condemning all people that have some sin in their life, whatever that might be, recognizing that God's grace is over to, able to overcome Whatever sin is in a person's life, if he died for them on the cross, my friends, they're going to be in heaven one of these days. If their lifestyle is not what we would like, if their lifestyle is not according to what the gospel and what the Bible would teach, yet if God, Jesus Christ died for them, they're going to be in heaven one of these days. And so uh, uh, as we look at all of that, whether they're a Muslim, whether they have an alternate lifestyle, uh, as some people might say today, or whatever it might be, if Christ died for them, they're going to be there. And so uh, uh, instead of us being, if the gospel was preached more in truth, maybe everybody in the world wouldn't hate Christians quite as bad. But you know, if they do hate us, uh, we're in the same company with the Apostle Paul, okay, who was under jail and so uh, uh, under arrest for preaching the gospel. Uh, and if we can look at this and say, you know what, even if things began to go downhill, I... Uh, uh, as I've said on, on other occasions here, I'm, I'm on the downhill side of the mountain these days. Uh, some of you young folks are going to be here, uh, hopefully, uh, God willing, many more years uh, uh, serving the Lord in this in this church, uh, serving the Lord in this country uh, where God might place you. Uh, I want to uh, encourage you this morning, be strong. <laughs> be strong and courageous in the Lord. Be Joshua who was going over across the, uh, the Jordan River to face who knows what with all the villages and the Philistines and all those things that were over there. And, uh, and God's word to him was to be strong and courageous. And I, I want to encourage you this morning, be strong and courageous in your faith and the strength of God and realizing your labors in the Lord are not in vain. Uh, they're not in vain. Uh, they might not bring out all the fruit of, uh, of uh, glory by the people of this world, but when you're serving God, it's not a vain, a vain thing to do. So he tells us here, 
Paul was rejoicing that Christ was preached, even if it wasn't preached in the, for the reasons that it should be preached. And, and today I'll tell you, in the world that we're living in, if Christ is being preached, uh, we ought to rejoice in that. Uh, I, my desire would be that it would be preached in truth, uh, that the gospel and, the, and salvation would be taught in truth in all places. Uh, but uh, it, if, even if not, I can rejoice that Christ is preached. So he goes on and says, For this I know that thou, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that, I, that with boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul had gotten to the point, and, and I, I, looked at this, uh, I looked at this several places and realized how many times Paul told people uh, that whether I live or whether I die, I'm Christ. Whether I live or whether I die. And he, and, he, and he said that on several different occasions in several different ways. And we'll try to look at some of that. But he says, his, whether he was uh, according, he says, to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing, he said, Paul says, I don't want to be ashamed that with all boldness as always, I, the Christ might be uh, glorified, magnified in my body, whether I live, whether by life or by death. You know, today... 2,000, nearly 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the Apostle Paul. I'd have to say Jesus Christ must have been magnified not only in his life by all the, all the churches he established and the letters he wrote and the people he encouraged and the gospel that he spread, but Paul, uh, Jesus Christ is magnified in his body even in death. Uh, here we are 2,000 years later still talking about what Paul wrote, what Paul said, and how he did things. And so uh, he says for this, verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, yet, yet what I choose, I want not, or I know not. For I am in a straight twixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I I would like to uh, put a caveat. You know, part of the part of the preacher's job is to explain what you read uh, and explain what we believe the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Uh, so he says to be with Christ. Uh, for I'm in a straight twixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Uh, and I, let me add, put a little parenthesis in there, which is far better for me. That's what the Apostle Paul meant. I have a desire to be with Christ. Uh, but he said, I'm, I'm in a straight, I'm in a, a tight place. That word straight there means a tight area. Uh, he, was in a, he was in a bind almost in his, in his own mind and in his own body, having a desire to just go on and be with Christ. Uh, as, as I get older, uh, and, and I know some of you older uh, ones in the congregation, I can, under, I can understand your thoughts and I can understand my parents' thought and maybe my grandparents and my great-grandparents and some of them as they got a little bit older in life, you know what? They were just I'm ready to go home and be with the Lord. That's where the Apostle Paul was. He said, I have a desire to be with Christ, but I'm in a straight, uh, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better for me, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul, Paul was willing to sacrifice his desires for what the people needed. 
Paul had a desire to be with Christ. And you know what? He says, I'll sacrifice that to get to be with because it's more needful for me to be with you. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of times when we think about uh, thing, uh, other, other situations, uh, sometimes we want to say, you know, I just want to go on. But you know what? Uh, maybe it's more needful for me to be with my family and my children and my grandchildren and my wife and others, uh, uh, maybe with the church uh, and so forth. Uh, uh, but uh, but I can say, you know, uh, if Christ came today, uh, if, Christ, if I was called home today, uh, what, a, what a glorious day that would be to be in the presence of God and to be with Him. But I'd miss this little buddy. I'd miss him. And seeing all those things that are taking place in his life and seeing the joy that he brings to so many, thinking about another little miracle. Another little miracle. So Paul says, I'm in a strait. Let's turn over, if we can, to us. I think 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 4. Uh, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he, he says this. Uh, uh, for I, uh, let's see if I can find a place. He says, but thou, but watch thou in all, verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 5, but watch thou in all things, endure, afflict, endure afflictions. He's writing to Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered... The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. Uh, the righteous judge shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all men also that love his appearing, and so forth. Paul, so now we've got two occasions uh, where Paul has written uh, uh, very similar things. Let's turn over to, uh, to Romans uh, uh, chapter uh, 14 or 15, somewhere along in there. And let's see if we can't uh, uh, find, uh, <clears throat> find, uh, find another place. I'm in Corinthians. That won't work. Uh, so if we turn over to Romans, uh, I might be able to find the verse of Scripture uh, that I'm looking for. Uh, let's see if we can. I don't know that I can right now. Uh, is <clears throat> verse uh, chapter fourteen, Romans chapter fourteen. For it is writ as it is written, saith the Lord. Uh, let's go back above that. Uh, verse seven of Romans fourteen. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or we die. We are the Lord's. Kind of a similar message to what he was saying to the church at Philippi. He says, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. Uh, but he said, over here he says, whether we live, therefore we die, we're the Lord's. Uh, we're to be the Lord's in our life. We're to be the Lord's in our death. Uh, and uh, we're to serve him while, while we're here. Let's go on and read a little further. Uh, and he says, uh, uh, for whether we live or die, uh, we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For unto this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it naught, thy brother? For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, here, by the way, he's talking about judging them in their meats and their eatings, not judging 
like some people begin, begin to try to look at this and say, we shouldn't judge this, we shouldn't judge that. Uh, yes, we're to use some discernment in what we do and what we approve of in our lives. And so he says, you're not judging them here in their meats. For it is, for it is written, uh, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. We'll get back to that a little bit later in, the, in this Philippian letter. <coughs> but he tells us here uh, to live. He says, I'm in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better for me. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, you all, for your furtherance and joy of faith. So, Paul knew he was going to, God, I guess, had given him insight. He knew that he was going to continue for the furtherance of their joy uh, and faith. That you're rejoicing, there's that word again, rejoicing, that your rejoicing may be abundant in Jesus Christ for me by coming unto you again. Paul had a desire to come unto them, and he wanted to see their, them joying in their faith and rejoicing, uh, not only at his coming, but rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together in the faith for the faith of the gospel. Paul said, whether I get to go, he says, I want to come, I want to see you, I want to be with you, I know it would be a joy for me, and, I, and he says, I know it would be a joy for you and rejoicing for you, but he says, whether I'm absent or present, I want to hear one thing, that you, that you stand fast in one spirit. Uh, the same would be true today for us, Right? Uh, as a church, we need to be of one spirit, one mind, and one accord. Uh, uh, that you be stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Working together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. He says when you're... When you're terrified of your adversaries, he said, they think it's, it shows weakness in, in you. And, uh, and it's a token of your, of your destruction or of your loss. But for unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ that not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sakes, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now, which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. So he said suffering, they look at it as something that... Uh, is a weakness, is a loss to you. He said, I'm telling you, when you suffer, you're also like Christ. And that it's also a, tech, a, a token of the, of the evidence of this. It's, we're called on many times to suffer. How many times, how many times have, have you or were I, how many times were any of us told that part of, the, part of the thing of following after Christ was you're going to have some suffering? Uh, <clears throat> you may have heard it. You may not have heard it. But I'm here to tell you, part of the life of a Christian, if you're walking the Christian walk and walking the Christian life and serving God in this old world, part of your, part of your life is going to be suffering for trying to serve the Lord. Uh, and Paul tells us that. He tells the church at, uh, at Philippi that. You need to know and understand part of your life is going to be suffering for doing the right thing. But then he goes on, he says, If there be any consolation in Christ, chapter 2, If there be any consolation in Christ, If any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, Any bowels of mercy, 
Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. It must be pretty important to the Apostle Paul that they be of one accord and one mind and one spirit. Uh, He says, fulfill ye my joy. How do do I fulfill the joy of the Apostle Paul? How do I fulfill the joy of, of Jesus Christ? By being of one mind and one spirit and one accord with the brethren uh, here, here in the church. If there be any consolation uh, in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the spirit, he says, fulfill ye my joy. If you care, Paul's message was, if you care about me, if you care about my care for you, if you really care about that, he says, be of one mind and one spirit, fulfill ye my joy, and let nothing be done through strife, our vain glory. We under uh, hopefully I, you know today you wonder. Uh, I'm not I'm not a great uh, not that my vocabulary is that great, but uh, uh, if we think about vocabulary for just a minute, the words that we know and understand and what we're reading, he says, don't let things be done through strife. Don't let it be done through argument or, or discord. Uh, with one another. Don't be striving with one another. Don't let, let, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. In other words, don't be doing it so that you yourself can be puffed up and say, look at me and look what I've done. Uh, so let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So now he, he kind of begins to switch. Here's the attitude that is God's children we should have. Uh, don't be of one mind, one accord, one spirit. Uh, don't be doing things for strife. Don't be doing things for vain glory, for being puffed up yourselves. And he says, but look every man, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vain, but in lowliness of mind. And he goes on and says it, uh, here below this, through humility, let us humble ourselves. That's uh, that's what we find over in the book of James. Humble yourselves, and Christ will exalt you in due time. Uh, humble yourselves before Him, both in James and First Peter, I believe it is, chapter five. He just humble yourselves before the Lord. Christ will exalt you. Don't worry about it trying to exalt yourself, saying, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing to serve the Lord. He says, do things through a humble, meek spirit in serving him. <clears throat> let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Our attitude is, as God's children here in the church is for me to esteem you more highly than I esteem me. Uh, Paul set the attitude in the chapter before this. He said, you know, he said, uh, I have a desire to go home and be with Christ. You know, that would be good for me, but it's more needful for you that I stay here. It's more needful for you that that I remain. That's putting others ahead of himself. That's an attitude. That's that's an attitude of service. 
that's to be in the church. That's the attitude of service that's to be among God's children. I put you before me. Uh, that'll work in a marriage too, by the way. I put you before me. I serve my wife more than I serve me and my desires. That should be my attitude. I'm not saying it always is, uh, but it's supposed to be the way we do. And so God sets the example here. Christ sets the example. And, and Paul gives the example. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Boy, I, I probably preached on this before, but I remember as a young man reading, reading these verses of Scripture and just struggling uh, to understand how I was <clears throat> not to look on my own stuff, but look on others' things. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to be doing looking on other? Well, I'm not supposed to be looking on it with envy. I'm not supposed to be looking on it with desire. I'm supposed to be not thinking so much about my things, but looking at your things and saying, how can I help you? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, <clears throat> Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, <clears throat> thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is verily the God himself. Uh, he is the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Uh, you say, well, explain that, Brother Charles. I don't know that I can. <clears throat> I can just tell you they function as one. <clears throat> you know, it's much like... The Bible, te <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that as husband and wife, we're to become one body... Uh, one in body, one in mind, one in spirit. In other words, we're to think alike. We're to become a one unit. Uh, and that's the way God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are. <clears throat> they're, they're multiple unities. Uh, and, and, and I probably said more than I understand <laughs> in saying that. I just know that they function together as one even though they display themselves in three different ways and how they function among, for, for us. So he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Think about Jesus Christ, who from all eternity had been with the Father in heaven, uh, had been with him and serving and serving him uh, there in, in the glory world where the angels were constantly flying around and the seraphims were co constantly flying around saying, holy, 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 uh, Lord God Almighty. Uh, they were constantly there praising the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He had been in a world where it was nothing but glory and praise to him and he laid aside all that glory and praise how many, how many of you, and I'll just kind of, I want, I want this to be close to us, okay? How many of you, if you lived in the finest mansion or finest palace where you had people waiting on you and serving you day and night forever and ever and ever, how many of you would say, I'm going to lay all this aside to go live down in the slums for a while? Well, Brother Charles, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I'd be willing to do that. Uh, but the truth is, I probably wouldn't. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ laid aside all of his glory, all the honor, 
and took on the form of a sinful man, not saying he was a sinful man, he took on the form of a sinful man uh, uh, and came down here to serve us. He made himself of no reputation. Uh, he was born in a manger uh, uh, in, a, in a place in Bethlehem where his parents were going to, for the feast of the year, uh, for, the, uh, for that time of year. And when they got there, there was no room for him at the inn so he wasn't even born in a in a in a uh, a room of any kind. He was born in the stable amongst the animals in the feed trough. That's what a manger is uh, in the feed trough out there outside. That's how he came into this old world, uh, and and so. He made himself of no reputation. Could he have come in in the very palace of the Caesar if he had wanted to? Could he have come in in the very palace of the Herods if he wanted to? Well, no, in a sense he couldn't because that would have uh, forbid him from being the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay, uh, and, uh, and David. But he came exactly the way God intended for him to come, and he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation, took, on the, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and, may, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the most cruel type of, cru, of death that was known at that time to mankind, to have nails driven through his, through his hands before. Prior to that being beaten, uh, having the flesh ripped off his bones and being nailed to a cross. And even in that, I want to make this point while we're here. Even in that, they didn't kill him. Today, you know, I, I was, I, you know, you read, you read it various times, you know, a lot of times people have been, uh, have made, uh, have made it difficult for the Jewish people in the last 2,000 years because uh, some of the early church accused the Jews of killing Christ, okay? You killed the Savior, so... No, they didn't. And so some others, others looked at the Romans and said, the Romans killed him. No, they didn't. They nailed him to a cross. They intended to kill him, but they didn't have power to kill him. Uh, he had power to lay it down. He had power to raise it up again, and that's exactly what he did. When they nailed him there to the cross, and uh, the Bible says when the hour came, the time came, he gave up the ghost. He simply gave up his life. Again, an act of servitude, if you will. He gave up his very life that they could not take, and he took it back upon him again And three days later in the resurrection. Now, my friends, they didn't have the power to take his life. <clears throat> they tried. <laughs> they wanted to. And I'm going to tell you, when, they, when the, when the uh, Jewish uh, Sanhedrin council formed together and turned him over to the, to the uh, Romans to be nailed to the cross, they intended to kill him. And that was what was in their heart and in their minds and in their desires. But they didn't have the ability to. Being, made, being found, being himself made of no reputation, he took upon the form of a servant and, being, and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus uh, every knee should bow and, uh, of the things in heaven and the things which are in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. That's going to happen, my friends. It's not going, it's not going to happen, I don't think, in this world. But I'm telling you, it's, it, it ought to happen. Uh, every tongue ought to confess. Every tongue ought to cry out. But I'm going to tell you, there's one day before the throne of God. Uh, when, uh, when the sheep are on the right hand and the goats are on the left, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, truly, Jesus Christ is Lord. When we find these uh, these types of quotations in the New Testament scriptures, sometimes it's good for us to go back and look. Uh, let's turn over to the 45th chapter of the book of Isaiah, if we can, uh, uh, real quickly, uh, and uh, and hope we again uh, that we can find uh, find the right place uh, in scripture here this morning. But uh, in the uh, in Isaiah chapter 45, uh, uh, he tells us over there uh, these things. Uh, let's let's read, starting with verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near to me, ye that are escaped of the nations. That word of the nations is very important here because that's how the Jews uh, referred to people of other, of other nationalities. They were the nations. Israel was... Uh, was Israel and the uh, people of the nations. Now, uh, here Isaiah is prophesying and writing, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up, uh, set up wood as their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath, who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from, the t- from that time? Have not I the Lord? Is there, no God, is there no God else beside me? A just God and a Savior? There is none beside me. Now this is Isaiah chapter 45. Look unto me. Be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Nations. Israel, uh, he's writing even in the Old Testament. He's writing not just to the Jews, but to the nations here in this portion of Scripture. I have uh, look unto me, ye that be saved. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God; there is none else. I have sworn by myself; the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall shall one say in the Lord, I have righteous, so forth. So you can go to read that. Isaiah wrote this uh, some uh, 700 years or so before the time of Christ. And now we find uh, Paul quoting this over here in the book of Philippians. Uh, and we'll find it quoted in other portions of Scripture. But he says, uh, uh, at the, Wherefore is God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven. Of the things in heaven. What does that mean? I'm here to tell you the angels of heaven and the seraphims and the cherubims and all other things at the name of Jesus Christ are going to bow. Of the things in heaven, the things in the earth, and the things under the earth that that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You and I, uh, we can't work salvation. I cannot work salvation in your heart. I can't work it in there. I, I can I can preach about the gospel. I can preach about what Christ did on the cross. But I can't cause you to be saved. I cannot work 
the Spirit of God into your hearts. Uh, and so, but what, uh, what God has worked in, let us work out. Uh, as, I've, as I've said on other occasions, as God, I trust, has given me light on some portions of Scripture over time. Uh, I go if I go if I go down to the gym, everybody would shock and be die and have a heart attack, right? But if I went down to the gym, I'm going down there not to get muscles. I'm going down there to exercise the muscles that I have. And I'll tell you today, when we work out our salvation, we're not working it out in order to obtain it. We're working it out because we've already got it. And as as we he tells us here, wherefore, why? Let's stop and pay attention to the words for just a minute, and then we'll bring this to a close. So he, he goes through this whole explanation here of saying, Fulfill my joy, be of one mind, of one accord, take on the spirit and the attitude that Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, left aside glory to come and to be a, a servant to you. And he says that every that the time's going to come, every tongue's going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Wherefore, because of these things, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world." Paul was telling them that in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, who? Rome. In the, in the midst of the Roman nation, you shine out like lights. I'm going to tell you today, if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and a humble spirit and exercise ourselves in a, as a godly nature in a humble way here in this, you're going to shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation that we live in today. Uh, and yes, we live in a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, uh, so he says, holding forth the word of uh, the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, and that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul said, didn't want his labor in them, and in the preaching and the establishing of the church there at Philippi to be in vain. And he says it won't be in vain if you go forth and shine forth as lights working out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'll tell you, we're to exercise ourselves rather unto godliness, not to sinfulness. And so he says, exercise yourselves and work out your salvation with fear and trembling in this old world. May you work it out. Uh, You're not working it out so that you can make it sure with God. God's already made it sure. You're working it out in your life so that others around you might see that it's sure in your life. And so that you might let your, let his light shine forth in you. I trust as we go through this uh, that we will find the same joy and rejoice like the Apostle Paul wanted the church at Philippi to rejoice. That even in his bonds, even in uh, uh, even their times of being surrounded by a crooked and perverse nation, they could rejoice in the fact that they knew God, that they knew about their salvation, and that this world was not their home. I hope you can rejoice in that as well. Uh, as we go through this and study this uh, together uh, and that we can rejoice together in the Lord. May God bless you is our prayer.